Are y'all anticipating me spitting a lot? There's several rows empty. Uh, I won't be spitting too much tonight. Um, Book of Revelation, chapter 1. We are beginning a series in Revelation. This is, um, if there is a big scary monster in the closet, uh, in terms of Bible books, this probably is it for me. Um, This book, to be honest with you, there's so much, there's so much enigma around it. There's so much visions and hidden messages and secrets and so many things that we don't understand, such mystery in its pages. I once read through this book in an hour and a half, sitting in a class, like a study hall, waiting. Um, if you've ever taken driver's ed, and you know, you don't get to drive every day. So this was one of those days where I was in driver's ed, but I didn't get to drive that day. So I was sitting in a class and I just decided I'm going to read the book of Revelation. And I knew absolutely nothing more than I did when I started it. <laughs> it was, it's a good thing to do to read scripture through all the way. Uh, but it's also, in a case like this, there's no way you can pick it up. So, um, we're going to take it a little bit slower than that. For the first few weeks, we're going to be in the first few chapters, which are pain. In fact, it's going to sound almost like one of Paul's. Well, here, let me show you what I mean. Look in Revelation 1.4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings. Doesn't that sound like one of Paul's letters except he says he's John instead of Paul? I mean, if if this said Paul, an apostle, to the seven churches who are in Asia, you, you wouldn't know the difference. Here's the funny thing about Revelation. John is doing something pretty amazing when he writes this. And by John, most scholars think this is John the Apostle. It could be another John um, who's been come to known as John the Elder, um, possibly. Could have been someone else writing in John's name, but probably not um, because he doesn't really try to prove himself. Or he just says it's John. Um, there's no real reason to doubt that it's the uh, So I'm going to work with that as my starting point. But it doesn't really matter. The reason it doesn't really matter is because this is verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is revealing this. But John writes this book, he writes it as a letter, kind of. And in the beginning, it sounds like a letter. If you skip forward to chapter 22, he kind of ends it like a letter, right? Basically, um, well, let's read the end. Let's read, skip on over to chapter 22. In verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these. He puts his own script on it. And he warns them, basically, don't seal up this prophecy. Don't, don't, don't hide it away. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Heed what it says. Do it. And then, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Ends it just like a letter. Just like this giant letter. But boy, is it not like a letter at all. The types of visions that he... Were, well, well in, in verse 1, the revelation. That word revelation is the Greek word for apocalypse. It's an unveiling. It's a making known. And so in some sense, he's writing a letter. But in some sense, he's writing apocalyptic literature. It's the kind of stuff that you find at the end of Daniel or in parts of Ezekiel. Even a little bit, bits and pieces here and there in Isaiah. It's a kind of specialized sort of literature. It's a, um, it uses vision, images, types, signs, and symbols to convey the meaning. 
They're not chronological per se. It's not like he's saying everything is happening exactly in this order. Some of these visions are put together. I have the feeling that that some of these things are happening all over the place and it's hard to keep track. And he's having trouble just figuring out where he is as he's recounting all of this stuff. I can almost picture him saying, wait, 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 was it, was it this or was it that that happened? I can't remember. I can almost picture him trying to recall the vision so he can write it as clearly as possible. But how do you write something like this that you've never seen before and you've never conceived and you've never even imagined until now, until it's been revealed to you? How do you write all this out? And so he does the best he can. He uses the images and the types and the signs and the symbols to to try to get across the meaning. It's a genre, this apocalyptic, that's almost completely concerned with future. Except it's not completely concerned with the future. In fact, when he writes these letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, he's writing in very particular situations to particular churches who are undergoing particular circumstances. Just like a letter. But then there's this whole point that he views it as a prophecy. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Do you see John is taking a prophecy, an apocalypse, and an epistle, and somehow comes up with this book. One, one writer wrote it this way. He said, this is uh, J. Ramsey Michaels. Quote, if, it, if it's a letter, it is like no other... No other early Christian letter we possess. If an apocalypse, it is like no other apocalypse. If a prophecy, it is unique among prophecies. He's bridging the gap between now and then. Between the already and the not yet. He's bridging the gap between what has happened and what has yet to happen. Even his description of Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come. That's pretty much what this letter is what this apocalyptic writing is, this prophetic word. It's a revelation of Jesus. Your Bible may even call it the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a great name for it. I wonder where he gets that from. Oh yeah, it's the very first verse, huh? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about a revelation? We think of a revelation. It's something new, something that we didn't expect. And then suddenly, suddenly we get he had the revelation this afternoon of storage places. Just out of nowhere, it kind of hit him. You don't go seeking out a revelation. It hits you. In Soviet Russia, revelations, you don't find revelation. If you've seen that, it, they take things backwards. In Soviet Russia, we arm bears. And so it shows pictures of bears with kids or something like that. It, revelation is something that comes to it's not something you necessarily find. Around. It's not something you're looking for. It's something that, that you can derive. It's something that just kind of comes at you when you're not. John is in prison on the island of Patmos. It is the end. There is increased but not widespread portion of the church. Some churches are endured. You'll see that in a, few chap- in a couple chapters here. You'll see churches that are commended for their faithfulness and persecution. While other churches aren't facing persecution. It's here and there, spotty. Local leaders are persecuted. Sometimes a Christian is outed and they are asked to worship Caesar as a, as a way of showing their loyalty to the Roman Empire. But for the most part, Christians 
aren't being widespread persecuted. There is a growing trend. And in soon, about a hundred years or so after this, the world will see intense persecution from like Diocletian, who not only not only persecuted the church, but who did so with vicious efficiency. That time isn't yet. But some of them are undergoing it. I said it's about the end of the Domitian is the emperor. He's not too concerned about people worshiping him at first. Mostly it's people trying to curry his favor. But one of the biggest areas where this is happening is in an area that they called Asia. Now we would call Turkey. Asia Minor. That's where these seven churches are located. John is writing to. And so in their area, they are starting to increase persecution because the Christians are refusing to say Caesar is Lord. There's only one Lord. Jesus is Lord. We can't proclaim Caesar is Lord. That's, that's high treason to God Almighty. And yet they're being asked to deny their faith and just say words. You don't even have to mean them. You know how many people do. Yeah, Caesar is Lord, whatever. Just, just, just. I mean, it's like, it's, like, it's like going to the dealer renew your driver's license. Just everybody does it. Just, just go do it. You get pulled over by the cop. You're, you're going to wish you had. Just go ahead and do it. You don't have to mean it. It doesn't matter. You say the words. The Christians found themselves in trouble because they could not say it. And that was the source of a lot of this persecution that they were enduring. John is writing to churches. Some are persecuted. Some are about to be. Some have it relatively easy. In a time where the emperor is starting to do worship, where, where people around them are starting to assume if you're not on with the program, then you are on the wrong side of history. If you're not in with the program, well then you should be castigated. You should be cast out. You should be killed. They had these great stadiums. People would be fed to hungry lions, or tigers. That's what was facing some of these And it's in this era, in this time, where Christians are struggling to live out their faith amid an ungodly empire that was, at the very least, not too happy about them. At worst, there were, there were rumors of Christians adopting babies off the streets so that they could kill them and eat them in their communion. Yeah, that was something claimed. You had Christians that were claimed to be such terrible atheists because they don't worship the pantheon of gods. For many of these Christians, it was very hard in a day where everything seems stacked against them. And it's into this that John writes. Prophetic, apocalyptic epistle. This letter that seems so strange as we try to figure out how things are going to happen, when this happens and that. And the sad thing is we lose what the book... Let me show you tonight what the book of Revelation is about. You already know. I've already told you. But that, I can tell you again because I'm, I'm preaching. Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to know what this book is about? It's about Jesus Christ. It's about revealing Jesus Christ. It's about making known who Jesus Christ is. This book is not about what sequence things will happen in. It's not about reading the signs of the times so that you know exactly when God is coming back. It's not about trying to figure out how to put everything on a massive chart the size of this whole stage 
so that everybody can see exactly how things are going to go down. That's not what this book is about. This book is about Jesus Christ. And if you lose Christ in the midst of all the pre-tribulation and post-tribulation and amillennial and post-millennial and premillennial and all these other different types of doctrines and dispensations and everything else, then you've lost the point. The point is Jesus Christ. Seeing who Christ is. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Have you ever stopped to realize that without God unveiling himself, Romans 1 says, no, what is invisible is invisible attributes that are visible. But we miss it until God just says, here's the answer. Have you ever, uh, Miss Barbara, you homeschool. Have you ever asked, asked the grandkids a question and they look at you like, huh? And, and you, you basically have to tell them the answer. Before, oh, yeah. That's us before God. We don't know Jesus Christ without God opening our eyes and showing us who he is. I love the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus because he's talking with these two guys and you think you would know if you saw a guy that was just dead and now has been raised and you're talking about that guy as you're walking along the road. You think you know that guy when you see him, but their eyes were closed to it. They couldn't see it. Uh, just like Miss Fela was showing me a doll that, that, that her and Miss Sheila make. And on one side, the eyes are closed because you don't know God. You don't see. And on the other side, the eyes are open because you see God. You know Him now. I thought that's just beautiful because that's exactly how we are. Our eyes are closed. We're blind to the truth. We cannot see until God opens our eyes so we can see. Until God reveals Himself, we have no chance of knowing Him. And so this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is an unveiling. It's Jesus standing before us and saying, here I am. Come and know me. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he said. So God says, I need to get this message to John. So he sends a messenger, angel, that's a messenger. That's what the word means, angel means messenger. He sends his messenger to John to give him these visions, to show him what he wants John to then pass on. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I like that part because I'm reading it, see. Anyway, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear, who keep what is written in it for the time is near. That. That brings up a point that I need to, to make clear. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. Your definition of near may not be God's definition of near. I've heard people say, well, it's closer than, we're closer than we were yesterday. Of course we are. Unless time has just done a backflip and we're headed backwards. Of course we're closer. But we really are closer. So let's live in light of the truth that John shares with us. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. I, I, that's a whole sermon right there. Who was and who is and who is to come. You go back. One of the problems with the early church was trying to figure out who Jesus was. Not they knew who Jesus was, but trying to figure out just how he could be God and man at the same time. And one guy, he was a heretic, but he suggested 
that there was a time when he was not. He's the only begotten son, so he had to be begotten. And in order to be begotten, you got to not be, and then you got to be, right? So you begot. If, if he is begotten, then there was a time that he was not, and then he was. And he's perfect. He's God. He's fully God. That's great. But, the, but he didn't go all the way back because he was begotten. So the other church had to say, no, that, that can't be right. Because you can't be God and be created. You can't be God and be begotten in that sense. And so they figured out it's begotten, not made. Begotten, I don't understand exactly how. But the idea is, he is God's son. But there was never a time when he wasn't. You go back in the annals of history. You go back before the annals of history. You go back to before the universe is created and he was. You go back to before time exists at all and he was. There's never a time that Jesus wasn't. I can't fathom that. But John says here, from him who is and who was. We don't even know how to say it. Because all we have are Yahweh. Something like that. Again, we don't even know how to say it. You know what that name means? It doesn't have a meaning. It's a made up word. If you have... Okay, so... so let me. It's like God said... You don't have a word for me, so I'm going to give you a word that's really close to a word you do have. But it's going to be a different word because this is me and and nothing else is quite like me. And the word that he picked, the word that he gave them, that he made up, is really close to the word for I am. But it's not the same. It's not the same in that it's formed differently. As if it's just for God. As if he is the only one worthy to have the word formed that way for him. All of y'all can be I am, but I am this I am, and no one else is. Anytime you see that word is, especially in connection with God, when you read the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my refuge and my strength. He is. He's not, he's not just was. If he was just was, he'd be irrelevant. He is. In the current moment, He is. And He's the one who always is. He's the one that when you go back in the annals of history and you look around, He is. At that moment. When you go forward into eternity future, He is. There's never a point where He isn't. That's why we couldn't say Jesus, Jesus, there was a time when He was not. Because Jesus always is. He has to be. Because that's God's nature. He's the one who was. The one that you can always look back upon. The one who is. The, always, the one who is always present. Even in the midst of suffering and trial and tribulation. Even in the midst of danger. Even in the midst of, of poverty and abject lostness. He is. And He will be. Who is to come. He's not just one who was, used to be, one who is right now. There's never a period of time that you look forward to and get past it. I've I've been reading a lot on 
helping find vision and establish vision. And it's something we're working on as a church council. There's part of this vision, one particular author that I'm reading, he talks about a beyond-the-horizon vision. Like it's, it's a dream. So if you take a look, like if you're looking, if you, if you go to the Mo- Smoky Mountains, and you look out, and you see the smoke out on the horizon, you can see mountains kind of far away. But beyond that fog, there's more. There's more than what you can see. And we, with physical eyes especially, we have a limitation. We might see out, and we might see out 5 miles or 10 miles or 12 miles or something like that. But there's a limitation to how far we can see. But there's something beyond that. There's something beyond the fog. There's something beyond the distant mountain peaks. Something that we don't know yet. That from our perspective is hidden from our eyes. It doesn't matter how far out your vision can go. It doesn't matter how far out you're able to project or how far out you're able to see. There's always more that you cannot see. That's what makes this book so hard because we just want to see everything lined up crystal clear. But we can't because we're limited, because we're human. But I promise you, you start going toward those mountains in the midst of that fog and the fog moves away and you see more beyond it. You're never going to see farther than what God is. You're never going to be able to go farther than He is. You're never going to outrun or outpace Him as though, as though God as though God has to catch up to you. When the Israelites are leaving the desert, leaving the, um, Egypt into the desert and starting to wander around, Moses tells the people, now look, you're going to a place you haven't been before. You don't know the way, but I do. God knows the way. And you're never going to get to a point where God hasn't been yet. You're never going to get past Him. From Him who is, who always is, and who was, to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, I have no idea what the are. I'll just all I know is that God must be pretty, pretty special if he's got seven spirits around his throne. In addition to all sorts of beasts and elders and saints and all kinds of other things, angels flying all around, all of them around him, worshiping him. That seems pretty incredible to me. I don't even care who the seven is, not compared to the one they're worshiping. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Do, do, do you see what he just said? Christ is faithful witness. Faithful witness of what? The Father testifies. Christ is the testimony of God. You might say he had an unfair advantage. He's God. Yes. But isn't that what you want? Someone who can testify. We don't want to listen to people that don't know what they're talking about. You don't get financial advice from your broke uncle. You don't take dating advice from a guy that doesn't have a girlfriend or a spouse and who never had one, right? Who better to tell us about God than God himself? Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the true, the one who testifies correctly, the firstborn of the dead, Remember when Paul is talking about resurrection and he says, just as Christ died and was raised, so we too. It's, it's like Jesus is the first of many and the ruler of king on earth. That's comforting too. 
because some of the kings forget they have a ruler. There are some folks that need to be reminded that Jesus is in charge of them because they rule like they're the ones in charge. Sometimes, sometimes it's a good thing for a leader to realize that he is accountable to somebody else. And that's just the Jesus we serve. It doesn't matter that they're way across. It doesn't matter that they're nowhere near God's promised land. Even if they're not called king, even if they're called president or prime or some other title. And it even gets better. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He can't even get through the introduction without saying amen. You know, there's sometimes where I, I preach and y'all don't say amen very much. I don't think I've ever said amen. Like just, like I preach something and then I immediately said amen. Like, like, like that's right. You know? I don't think I've ever done that. He's able to do that. But look what he just said. To him who loves us. Him who freed us. By the way, that loves us. That's present tense. It's not he loved. Not he's going to find a way to try to love. He loves and has freed that's past tense from our sins by his blood let's never forget that and made us a kingdom priest to his god and father it's not just enough to free us he puts us together into them you know what you know what's going to happen in this book the earthly kingdoms are going to be torn down but the one jesus builds is going to last Behold, look, listen, take note. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I used to think when Jesus comes, it's almost going to be a secret. Nope, not this coming. Every eye will see that kind of reminds me of something else that all will do. At the holy name of Jesus, every knee will bow. This isn't in a certain radius. This isn't in a local section. This, this isn't, this isn't going to be, I don't think, when Jesus comes. Okay, let's talk a little bit about geography of the world for a second. The world is a globe, which means not everybody sees the same thing. Okay, if you are in China, you see something different than if you were in Brazil. Okay? You see a different sky based on where you are. Certain stars are below the horizon. Certain stars are above the horizon. Then, depending on the time of night, you see them in different places in the sky. If you have an eclipse, there's a stretch, a band, where you can see the eclipse. And there's a wider brand where you can see part of the eclipse. And then there's areas where you cannot see any of the eclipse. Any kind of astronomical phenomenon, you're not going to be able to see. The International Space Station flies around the Earth uh, eight, 16 times during the day. Every 90 minutes makes one full revolution of the Earth. And each time it revolves, it's in a different spot. If you looked at it on a flat map, it would look like it's going like this. Like it keeps moving across the map. Because every 90 minutes, there's a different part of Earth beneath it. There's no astronomical phenomenon that you can identify that will be visible to everybody on earth at the same time. But when Jesus comes, every eye will see. When Jesus comes, every ear will hear. 
When Jesus comes, every knee will bow. It'll be the only time in human history that all of us are doing the right thing at the same time. Maybe Adam and Eve pulled that off a little before they ate. This will be the only time in human people all over the world are seeing the same and responding in the only real way to respond when Jesus comes. And it's so good, he says, amen again. I am the Alpha, verse 8, and the Omega. There's two ideas here. I'm the first and the last. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. A and the Z. But there's something else that we often don't think of, and that is that he's everything in between, too. He's not just the first and just the last, with a big gap in between. Remember, he's the one who was and who is, is to come. It's everything. Please don't miss that. As we study this, as we dig into all sorts of sordid details, you're going to hear some crazy theories. You're going to hear some theories that you think, that's absolutely right. How can anyone disagree with that? And then you're going to hear theories that are like, what were they smoking when they came up with that? There's no way that's right. But don't miss Jesus. Because if you miss Jesus, you... he's the Alpha and the Omega. And if, you're, if, you're, if you know Greek, you also know he's the Beta and the Gamma and the Delta and the Epsilon and all the other letters too. He's the A, B, C, D, E, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V. Who is and who was who is to come. May I say, church, what we're about to see in this book, if we keep focused on him, some of the stuff just doesn't, trying to figure out the details, just really, whatever we do, we must see the words of God that are revealed in Jesus. If we do nothing else right, we got to get that right. We can't miss the lamb. We live in a day where there's so much chaos. We live in a day where there's down and nobody knows which way is up. So I pray that you see Christ in the midst of the chaos. Hold to that firm anchor. Stand on that solid. Sometimes you might have to kneel on it. Sometimes you might have to grip it for dear life. Don't get off. Because the one who was and who is and who is to come. And while it may look like all is lost, part of his plan. Father, I pray that we would the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we would that we would not miss all of God, I pray that you would reveal your through this study and through our personal study. Give you the rightful place. As we talked about this morning as a steward, your thing for your glory. God, I pray that we would be found faithful. Faithful. Lord, I also pray that as we go through this study that you would help us not be fascinated with the wrong thing. God, be burdened. We'll face your judgment. Help us be burdened. Pray for them. 
and to be faithful witnesses of who you are to them. Father, be with us this week. Help us glorify you as we go. There was a mistake in your bulletin that the ladies' Bible study was starting back tonight. It is not, so there's no ladies' Bible study. I mean, y'all can talk if you want. Y'all can study. I'm not going to prevent you, but there's no organized ladies' Bible study. Let's put it. Um, y'all have a terrific week. See you again, hopefully, on Wednesday. Um, before we go, I'd like us um, to pray for Miss Mary Hobby. She has either gotten back or is about to get back to her son's house in Deetsville. She is there. They're calling in hospice. There's nothing else doctors can really do for her. They, they have two sons and a daughter and several grandkids. And y'all just be in prayer for appreciate that. Robert, would you close us out in prayer for the hobby?